0: This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 1115 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. These words, which we call the Holy Gospel, come from the Gospel of St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, When will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. As the president of Trinity Lutheran Seminary, I uh, preach a lot in different congregations. And um, I always come and I bring greetings. But since Harriet and I are a member here, we're members here, uh, I don't need to do that. Uh, because we're all in this together. So I'm not going to tell you uh, that Trinity Lutheran Seminary is the flagship seminary of the ELCA, so I don't need to tell you that. Uh, I don't need to tell you about the fabulous faculty that we have. Uh, I certainly don't need to tell you about the wonderful staff that believes deeply in the mission of which God has called us, and I certainly don't need to tell you that God sends to Trinity the very best students and they're the most important people on our campus. So just getting that out of the way, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, but I am glad to be here as we have been members of this congregation uh, for about a year and a half uh, after coming uh, to Columbus in the summer of 2013. Uh, When I was a pastor for um, 25 years, um, whenever uh, we would gather youth together, young people together uh, to begin a meeting together, uh, we always began uh, with this litany. And so we're going to do this this morning. uh, And so I want you to pay attention. So I'm going to say, who are we? And you're going to say, the church. And I'm going to say, why are we here? And you're going to say, to be disciples. And then I'm going to say, well, what does the church say? And you're going to say, he is risen. And then I'm going to say, what does the church have to offer? And you're going to say, hope for the world. So let's try this. Who are we? Why are we here? (laughs) Now, somebody told me that those of you who went to Ohio State, I would have to give instructions twice. Okay, so uh, why are we here? What does the church say? What does the church have to offer? Hope Hope for the world. Okay, hope for the world, which is at the essence of the signature verse that's in this lesson, these uh, writings that we get from the book of Hebrews this morning. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for the one who has promised Is faithful. Now you probably already know this, but every verse, every paragraph, every chapter, every book, every uh, gospel, every epistle, uh, every treatise, uh, every letter, every prophetic book in in the scriptures, every uh, thing that looks like it's a history, every psalm, every piece of wisdom, was written for a specific situation. It had a context and had an audience uh, to whom these scriptures and words were addressed. The scriptures did not come about by somebody going up on a mountain and going, hmm, and then everything gets downloaded as if these are words that have no context and no purpose. So they all have a purpose, that they serve as a mediator between what God has to say something about God or what God has to say with a specific situation and a specific context. So this uh, is the, the, the grounding of the book of Hebrews because there's a specific situation several generations after the death and resurrection of Jesus that the church is undergoing a very, very difficult time. And people are beginning to question beginning to question God and the faithfulness of God. And you might say, for good reason. It had been generations and generations and generations and generations that they had lived under this brutal Roman occupation. And as you heard Jesus speak today from Mark's 13th chapter, things got decidedly uglier that in order to put down a revolt that came up in Judea by certain Jewish revolters, that the Roman army comes into Judea and Jerusalem and levels the city, levels the temple. Not one stone will be left upon another. It will all be torn down. And as we get to the latter a part of the first century it would be very difficult if you were identified as a follower of Jesus, a Christian, that you would be able to escape persecution. And as the, we got towards the end of the century, persecution would become much more uh, ugly, much more just detestable, uh, intentional to to shock people, kind of a first century form of terrorism that we saw this past, uh, over this weekend in Paris that, that this is what would happen. And so people began to wonder about God and God's faithfulness. And then Jesus warns about beware of people who come just telling you stuff and just making stuff up, you know, that the reason for all of this might be that, that, that you have sinned so badly, your faith has been so bad, that God is just getting even with you, that God's wrath is coming down on you. It, it could be that. Or it could be that God has abandoned you. And so people in the church are beginning to turn on each other, beginning to have conflict with each other. People are bailing and people are asking in in this situation, why? Why? And we ought to get that. Certainly the people in Paris and Western Europe, indeed all around the world, are again asking why? Why God? Why did this happen? Why would you allow this to happen? That was the first question to me on national television in April 20th, uh, 1999, in the evening, uh, after I foolishly agreed, naively agreed, to go on television after I'd spent the day as a first responder to Columbine High School. And the first question to me uh, from Catherine Cryer uh, was, Reverend Barger, would you please tell the American public why God allowed this to happen? I didn't know Jim Wilson at the time to call him up to explain. So uh, it was the same same question um, that was asked of me, screened through the Internet from Marika McRae. Um, uh, when power began to be restored in certain times of the day, when Internet connections could be made in Jacmel, Haiti, after this devastating earthquake in 2010. Marika McCray is the executive director of a center called Pazapa, which is uh, an organization that, that I am chair of, uh, supports for physically and mentally challenged children in Haiti. These are throwaway children, these are children that have been told they have no value. And these are children that that have been abandoned, thrown away, beaten, left for dead. And we have this sinner that that cares for them and loves them. And they've had, you know, the whole everything you can think stack against them. And then the earthquake, the building just came down. And so Marika McCray is screaming at me through the Internet. Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, could you please, please, please tell me what am I supposed to tell the children? Why did God allow this to happen to them? It's the first question that Linda Anderson screamed at me when I showed up on her doorstep on a Saturday morning in Littleton, Colorado, after her son, Justin, 13 years old, went out on a bike ride and got instantly killed by hitting by a truck. It's the question you ask when the doctor says it's malignant. It's the question you ask when you learn that your spouse has been cheating on you. It's the question you ask when you discover that you have been deeply betrayed by somebody who loves you. It's the question you ask when the sheriff comes to your door and tells you the worst news you could possibly hear. It's the question that you ask when you get a pink slip unexpectedly on a Friday. It is the same question. God, why why did you allow this to happen? So the author of Hebrews is trying to address this situation, and as usual, uh, people in their questioning are wanting some clarity And like answers to this. But just like Jesus is so does in his pattern. When people come to Jesus with a difficult question. He doesn't give them an answer. He frames it in a larger story. And so the author of Hebrews doesn't give an answer. You know, we see the billboard that says, Jesus is the answer. And sometimes I ask, the answer to what? Is Jesus the answer to why my football team lost yesterday? What is Jesus the answer to? But what the author does is says, no, Jesus is not an answer. Jesus is a decision Jesus tells us what it is that God is up to and how it is that God will deal with a world that is badly broken and behaves uh, in uh, exactly different from what God would wish us to behave, a world that absolutely breaks God's heart, that Jesus is the decision that God has made for the world and how God is going to deal with the world. And the way that the, the author of Hebrew makes this argument is to begin to use imagery that the people would understand out of this sacrificial system of which they were very acquainted. Because in those days, before the temple was destroyed, that you would go to the temple, or after the temple was destroyed, you would go someplace else and you would offer up a sacrifice. And the purpose of the sacrifice was really, just to put it crass, was to buy God off. To win God over. And the, the more precious the animal, the more expensive the animal, the more blood that could be, be shed, the more blood that could be sprinkled on on these icons, the more, the bigger show that could be put on. You know, maybe we can just jimmy the cosmic system for for God to act in our favor. I mean, people in Columbus get this because, you know, before the Ohio State plays Michigan, all kinds of people are doing gyrations hoping that somehow God will favor the Buckeyes in that game. And the Notre Dame basketball player, you know, crosses himself before shooting a free throw. You don't think God's going to fall for that. Of course, it is Notre Dame, maybe. So we're familiar with how is it that we jimmy the cosmic system in order to win God over? How do we offer up a sacrifice? How do we do this, that this is what was taught? Just go do this to win God over. So the author of Hebrews is saying we got it backwards. What if God can't be bought off? What if God can't be won over? What if the point is, is that in Jesus, God is trying to win us over? That God has bought us off? What if that's the point? There are those who say that as Jesus hung on the cross, taking all of this abuse, suffering this great big spectacle on a garbage heap outside of Jerusalem, that what this really is, as Jesus was abused and beaten and spat on, that God is so angry with you, trying to get even, that in order to avoid God's wrath... Jesus is arguing your case before an angry God. And that there can be a deal to get in on this so that you can be part of the collective bargaining agreement between Jesus making this case before God. But we have it backwards. That the author of Hebrews is telling us that as Jesus hung on the cross and was spat on, and beaten, and abused, when all the hate in the world did this to him, when all the greed, when all the the betrayal, when all the denial, when all this just raw, 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 ugly passion did this to him. That is not a Jesus arguing your case before God. It is God arguing God's case before you. This is how much I love you. This is what I'm willing to do for you. I will go to hell and back in order to take back what belongs to me. And when they took him down off the cross and put him in a tomb and rolled the stone against it, the opening, it sure didn't look like that, did it? It looked like Jesus had just been some big fraud blowing smoke that this one who came talking about this kingdom and this way of life filled with hope and life and love and joy and light, this Jesus who comes and talks to us about God's love extends to all people, that this Jesus who comes to us and and shows us how to love the unlovable, forgive the uh, the unforgivable. This Jesus who invites those that people exclude into the kingdom and into fellowship. This Jesus who is able to heal the sick, raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind. This Jesus who shows us God's extraordinary power over everything that might get us. It looks like Jesus is a fraud because he's in this tomb and he's been killed and he's been exposed for what he is. And so on Saturday, it looked like it was all over, that this had just been a great big lie. And then Sunday comes. I said, y'all get it, you know? My notes told me that when I said, now Sunday comes, that you would say, amen. So let's try this again. Now Sunday comes. And as Joey Sherman Uh, who was a fifth grader uh, in my congregation in Littleton, Colorado, wrote in the days following Columbine High School, as he wrote as his reflection, he said, Jesus refused to stay dead because he loves us. What the Scriptures and what Hebrews is trying to say to us is there's been one sacrifice once and for all, and it's not your stuff. God did it. God did it for you once and for all, that the minute that the stone was rolled back and Jesus rose from the dead, God sent a message to you and me and the world that God has already overcome everything that would crush us, fragment us, demean us, cheapen us, that love and life ultimately win in the end, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not, cannot overcome it. Back in the summer of 2013, when Harriet and I moved to Columbus, uh, that I'm the president of Trinity, is a testimony that when we make plans, God laughs. Um, showed up thinking we were called to be, to lead Trinity Lutheran Seminary. And I have one sibling. My brother lives in Columbus, Ohio, lives in Upper Arlington. Actually, he lives in assisted living, not doing well. Um, But when we came, uh, thinking it was going to be so great to get together, his wife Sherry, several months later, had a recurrence of cancer. And now we begin to see maybe God had a bigger purpose for why we get relocated to this area. And for a year, she battled tenaciously this beast known as Cancer all the way to the end. Well, on January 31st, cancer took her. But Sherry Barger taught me a couple of things. One time, when I was in Colorado, I had two small little girls whose mother was tragically taken away from them. And I was talking with her on the telephone. She was... She worked at First Community Church, deep, deep person of faith. And she said, just remind them that the first one to cry is God. And remind them that the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is not going to be the last thing. So she, Cherry, entered into this day on January 31st with full courage and full confidence. Let us hold on, cling to the confession of our hope without waver, because the one who has promised is faithful. Let us cling to our hope. In the scriptures, in the Greek that, which we translate hope, hope is not wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is when your pastor Jim thinks that Indiana is going to win another national basketball championship. That's just wishful thinking. Hope is the absolute guarantee, the assurance, even though we can't see it. A better way to translate that would be let us cling to the confession of our guaranteed, sure and certain expectation. Because faithful is the one who has promised. Pastor Jim and Ann are back. Yoo-hoo! And uh, things have changed in these four and a half uh, months uh, since they abandoned us. And um, since, they, since they left us. And a uh, different place. Have some Transitions. Of course, we know that God does God's best work during transition. God does God's best work when there's confusion and there's questions. But one thing that is really clear, that this congregation is named Lord of Life. Lord of Life. Lord of Life. And that God has given us a great mission to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. Really simple. Because we know outside these doors We have people who were deeply troubled and confused. We have people in this wonderful country who really are sitting on the sidelines and and marginalized. We have people who are victims of hatred and exclusion. We have children who have everything they could possibly want and not what they need. Children who look off into the future and don't know what to believe in. There's a lot of work to be done. And yet... God calls this congregation Lord of life to reach out with the love of Jesus, to help this community and the world because this one is faithful, to see what they can't see, to dream what they don't know how to dream, and to work for what they're not willing to work for, but to pull them along because faithful is the one who is promised. I can say this because I'm one of you, God loves you, and I do too.